Welcome to the Remodel Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Camille Finan, and I'm a female cabinet maker and kitchen designer in California. And I believe there is a revolution happening inside the construction industry right now. And more women than ever are thriving and living life on their terms in the construction world. Listen in as I interview my friends, colleagues, and women that inspire me working in the trades. A glimpse into the variety of creative careers, these women, their financial success, and freedom. Let's start the show. morning, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I have a, an incredible guest that's going to talk about, you know, how you can get better clients, right? We've all had difficult clients. We've all had amazing customers. And so she's going to really help us find some new ways to attract that perfect customer. So that's coming up in just a bit. But for now, I wanted to do a little shout out to Jessica, who has wrote into the show, you know, just about every week I get a DM or an email or a phone call from some lady out in, in the universe who has been helped by the show. And so I just wanted to do a little shout out to Jessie and um, read a tiny bit of her letter. And she is currently working in the industry. So here it is. Uh, Camille, thank you so much. Truly, your podcast has been so incredibly helpful to me, and I wanted to thank you for that. Listening to your show and your guests, I've really begun to realize that trades have always been in my life, from working in the garage with my dad to renovating projects and wire pulling with my brother. Despite my brother's encouragement, I've never been able to see working in the trades as a viable option for me as a woman, yet here I am feeling unbelievably satisfied, framing walls, hanging drywall, and wearing a toolbar. I've had amazing male mentors step up and give me opportunities to learn, and I'm so thankful to you and the show and them. Keep the goodness coming. And um, so, Jessica, thanks so much for writing in, and you keep going, girl. We believe in you. All right, so let's get on with our amazing guest, Pamela, who is here to talk all about um, you know, being magnetic to our customers and what exactly that means. She's got a book. We've got all kinds of great things to talk to her about. So, uh, Pamela, thanks for being on the show. Why don't you give a little introduction to our listeners? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. We had a great um, pre-call a few weeks ago, so I'm really excited to be here today. Um, yeah, I mean, I've actually been in the industry for 30 years and I am an interior designer and now have started coaching to help other designers and people in the construction industry have a better business. But what I, what, how I really started in the business was actually, believe it or not, took a quick class in high school. And I've heard this, that that's kind of unusual as um, I talked to other interviewers, but I took a design class in high school and just loved how it married um, creativity and uh, technical ability together. And that just seemed like a really perfect fit for me. So from there, I ended up studying interior design and started my career in commercial interior design. Fast forward um, a few years later, ended up going on my own um, when my children were very young and have been in you know my business my own business for 30 years now. So it's been quite a journey. 
Wow. What, what would you say was your, when you, I always like asking, like when people really get started, because so many women, I feel they, they have an interest in something and then something happens to stop that, right? Either it's themselves, right? Their own mindset, but what, what made you decide or think that you could actually do that and start your own business? Like that moment from working for an employer to going, wow, I can actually take on this responsibility and do it. Like what, can you remember back to what made you think you could do that or what little steps you took to give yourself the confidence that you could do that? Yeah. And actually this is, is, this is kind of funny, but um, I had not intended to go into my own business. Uh, It sort of, it was something that happened somewhat traumatically. And so the story of, I was not prepared Let's just say I kind of got thrown into it. Um, Back when I worked for somebody, I had my first child. And shortly after that happened, um, 9-11 happened. And Mm -hmm. we, at the time, lived in the New Jersey area. And so we were very directly affected by those events. Mm -hmm. And... um, kind of decided after having a baby and going through that event that there was a lot of, I was really working a lot of hours, um, getting up super early. It was exhausted all the time. And I didn't really like the people I was working for. And so it all kind of came to a head Mm -hmm. and I upped and quit one day um, just because I had had enough. So to answer your question, I wasn't fully prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing it this way. However, it's what needed to happen. I am the type of person I'm uh, pretty risk averse. Generally, I've gotten better as I've gotten older. So I don't know. Um, sometimes we're never ready. You know, even if we think, even if we're preparing, we're, we're it's always scary. So pulled the Band-Aid off ended up um, going on my own. We lived in New Jersey for about another year, um, maybe a little longer, and then ended up deciding to move to Florida. So I've built a business several times, actually. Yeah. What would be, you know, if you had to, I know quite a few women in the audience right now who are, who just made the leap, right? And they're kind of in that scary in-between phase, like, oh my God, did I do the right thing? I love it. I love being my own boss. But what, you know, like that first year, right? That first six months, yep. you're kind of questioning yourself a lot. What would be something you would say to those women that may, or what were some of the little steps that you took right away in the first six months when you were still kind of scared that yep. it gave you the confidence to the little momentum to go, okay, this is actually going to work. Like, can you remember any of that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, you just need to be super proactive in the type of work that you want to go after and then being very mindful of putting yourself in that those places where those opportunities can flourish. So mm-hmm. definitely being around high quality people in your industry that could refer work your way and developing those relationships. I think that is super important. And, you know, in the beginning, you do say yes to a lot of things. I think as you start to understand yourself more and where you want your business to go, you change that changes a little bit and you're, you create more boundaries on what you're willing to take and not willing to take for various reasons. And I think that is also 
really important, but you need to be an active part of your own success. And what I mean by that is a lot of times we will either wait for the phone to ring or maybe we'll meet someone and give them a card and then wonder why they haven't contacted us mm-hmm. as opposed to having a way to continually keep in touch with people, to continually be a resource for people. And those are ways that we build trust and build strong relationships because referring vendors and referring other trades is scary for the referrer as well because they feel like, you know, it's exposing them, right? Yeah. And so we need to do whatever we can to make them feel comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's by building that relationship. So what would be an example of when you say to get really granular, when you say, you know, sharing information and staying in touch and and sharing resources Let's say you you run across a really a good builder, right? A general contractor who you respect and you think he does really good work. And you want to maybe be referred to his clients to design the inside of the house, right? The interior. Mm-hmm. What would be an example of actual things you might do to stay connected to that person that you just met at some trade meeting or maybe a chamber of commerce meeting, right? Or some business networking function. What would be something you would do if you met him on a Saturday, what would you do on the next, the following week? So probably Saturday afternoon, I'd write a thank you card, um, a handwritten note and put that in the mail. I think um, mail's a little underrated right now. And so we should definitely be getting back to tactile methods of keeping in touch with people. So that's a really, a really good one. And then even a few weeks later, if you're reading an article in a magazine or you know, you, I think you should get to know these people. So you want to kind of find out what their, who's their ideal client, right? Everybody wants more work. And so instead of thinking, what can I do to get this person to refer me? Think about what can I do to elevate their business? So they become a better resource to their own clients or their own potential clients. So you could always ask that person. um, So, you know, what where what's been lacking in the in the relationships you've had with your trades or your other vendors previously and you know obviously relate it to the type of work that you do and you want to hear where the holes are in their business where their pain points are and how you can fill that so that's certainly one thing to keep in mind the other thing is as you're reading or consuming information if you see something that you think might be relevant for that vendor rip that article out of a magazine, um, send that article via email and say, hey, I was just thinking about your business a little bit and I saw this and I thought this could be really helpful for you um, in your own business. And so that's what I mean about sharing and also being a resource. Right, that's fabulous. Um, Yeah, that's a really great idea. I was trying to think of when I had my business before I was retired and I didn't do the magazine thing, but I would often... I would often like when I heard one vendor talk about something they needed, right. Or a problem they were struggling with or something that was happening. Right. I would often kind of act like a middle woman, right. Like if I heard, you know, one person was struggling, they couldn't find a secretary to manage their projects or I might know of someone else. Right. And be like, Oh, this person I know is really great 
a great resource on how they found their project manager. And I might share a phone number or or something that helps them kind of in a, in a similar way, right? Yes. So it's interesting. I didn't think about the magazine thing, or mm-hmm. um, but that's a great idea. I love that. Yeah, so yeah, definitely ways you can be a connector. Um, even if you're connecting, like you said, connecting them to a resource where you're not involved in any way. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that giving does really... It's, it doesn't happen much these days. So it does make you um, stand out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I definitely know that for sure women in the industry, for some reason, men have no problems like reaching out for what they want, asking for what they want, you know, really being much more aggressive, right? Proactive. Yes. Mm-hmm. But women tend to just get really bogged down in the day to day of the work yes. and, and trying to be perfect right? Trying to be perfect oh, yeah. with the talent talent part. Yeah. And they they just really take their eye off of the running of the business, right? The the, the strategy that goes into really thinking about the business long-term. And um, I think it's just easier to be good at the woodworking part, right? We're good at that part. We, it's easy to just put our head down, right? Um, but really to have a thriving business, I agree that you have to be, you know, almost even 70% sales and 30% on the, the actual work. Honestly, that's personally what I found, right? Um, yeah. Once you're good, right? Once you know what you're doing, but I think a lot of women keep, you know, they just keep overcompensating after the fact that they're already really good, right? They keep trying to get better and better. Yes. Instead of getting better and better at, at understanding marketing and sales, marketing yeah. and sales. Yeah. Which to me is not, um, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with that. They think selling is, you know, really a dirty word and really uncomfortable. But for me, it was, I always just thought about it. Like, you know, I'm really helping that family get a kitchen that, that they're not going to get the same experience from a a man. They just weren't right. I knew I was a better cabinet maker and in the sense of, I knew I could solve the problems better for them. I mean, I, I just felt that. Right. So I just looked at it as I was just connecting them to a better solution. And that kind of helped me not feel like I was selling like, I was actually helping them. Agreed. And I think we should, um, we, I think as women, we try to make ourselves more like men. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice to your point. Um, I was talking to another designer and she was telling me about her business and how she had an all woman crew. And um, I think specifically there, she was talking about how she really wanted to dive into window treatments and her installer was a woman and all these other things. And I said, well, why aren't you talking about that? And she said, well, what would be the, what would be the appeal there? And I said to her, <laughs> well, here's, I said, I'm weird. yeah, you start laughing. Cause you know, it's I was so like, obvious. well, first of all, you're going to, you're going to treat your house better than she does because you probably know what she's thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the homeowner. The other thing is generally they were installing, of course, during the day when if this person was married, she was not home. I mean, her husband was not home. Right, at she the was time. home by herself. So safety. By her, yes. So safety and security. Safety, security, comfortableness. Yes. Women are more detail oriented. They take their time. They're more. Yes. Besides, so we were, just, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge competitive advantage. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, think about that. Like as women, there are things that only we think about. No man would ever think about about the fact that, you know, some woman's at home and somebody's doing work in their house and it's, it's a man. Right. And her kids are at home with her, right? Like 
it's a very vulnerable position, basically. Like I know a lot of women that never even open their front door at all. doesn't matter for any deliveries at all during the day. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of like home invasions. Right. So like they don't, they don't let people in during the day, but to let a woman in to work on your crown molding or your window treatments or painting, like it's a huge competitive advantage. And I just, I feel like, I feel like I'm the only person that used that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so smart. I mean, let's, let's, amplify the things as women that set us apart. Right. Um, Our analness and our attentive detail, our cleanliness, um, Mm -hmm. no disrespectfulness in terms of someone else's home and all these other things and just the safety and the security. Why, why not take advantage of that and and amplify it? Yeah, exactly. And it's just unusual. Like even just, if it wasn't for all that stuff, it's just cool to see something you've never seen before. Like there's just an interesting there's just a magic to watching a woman put a kitchen in when you've never seen that done before, right? Yeah. It's fascinating to people or build you windows or, you know, like you said, put window treatments in. It's it's fascinating to people. So use that, <laughs> right? Absolutely. It's fascinating. Magnetic quality. Magnetic, for sure. Yeah, that's a magnetic quality. Um, okay, so, well, that was super helpful. I wanted to go a little bit deeper into the, like some of the ways that you've used it. Um, because I do know that a lot of my, a lot of the women that listen are kind of like, but yeah, but I don't know exactly what to do to follow up. So that was helpful, right? They just didn't, they just didn't know to think about the magazine thing or whatever. Um, okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit more in depth of like, what do you think, you know, what do you think some are some easy ways to be, to get basically, what is a good quality lead to you? Okay. What do you think the difference is between a good customer and a bad customer? And then what are some ways that you personally use or think are the easiest ways to be magnetic to get that dream client? So, but first kind of, you know, differentiate what that means to you. So good customer versus bad customer. Yeah. So for me, good customer is first and foremost, a nice person. Mm. <laughs> Preach. Um, so that usually, you know, will come out in, in some of the initial conversations that we have. And I've learned, and I think everyone should really think about this in their own business, is you can create what we call an avatar for your perfect future customer. And that may not be one person, but what of all the qualities of all the best customers you had, or if you don't have a lot of customers yet, what you think you would like to see in customers, um, you start creating this persona or avatar and you create a real person based on that. And one of the things that I have found for me is that my best customers are very nice people, super respectful, um, They are very family oriented. They are spiritual. Um, They are former executives or current executives. And the reason I say that is because, so I'm originally from New Jersey and I am like a quick, like, let's go, let's go. I like people who like to make decisions. Right. Fast paced, fast thinkers can, can pull the trigger basically. Yes. So the slow meandering process makes me want to jump off a cliff. So I've learned that. So, and that's the way I work. And so those people that work that way as well, really appreciate that. So we're much more in alignment. And 
I find for me that executives make, they're really good at decision-making. They make decisions quick. They go from the gut. Um, they believe in hiring. Yeah. They know what they like when they see it. Right. So you're just presenting options and then they pick, right. They're not, they're not waffling back and forth all the time. Right. They believe in hiring professionals um, because because that's what they're used to doing. They know they're not an expert at everything and they're okay with it because they're used to being like the captain. Right. And they're just, you know, getting other people to help. Right. Um, So they're not trying to they're not making you prove yourself. Right. Exactly. They're not 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 trying to be a designer. (laughs) Yeah. They're not jumping in and acting like they know better than you do. Yep. So you don't have to have those conversations. Exactly. Um, And so. That's really helped me hone in on the type of person that I like to work with. Now, I make sure or I get really good quality leads by having really good relationships with other people in my network who are also doing business with those type of people. Mm -hmm. And give me an example, just for someone that's new to business, right? Yeah, like builders who are doing, yeah, builders who are doing work with Generally, people who are previous executives, um, you know, they're doing renovations that are $400,000 and up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, I mean, I live in a seasonal location, so I'm in Florida now. And so we have a seasonal population. So my clients tend to be recently retired, thinking about retiring or retired Um people and they have, this is their second, third, fourth, fifth home type thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those are the type of leads that I'm getting from my, either from my builders, from my realtors, also from my vendors. Um, I will get really great leads from my vendors. And a lot of people don't think about that, like the tile showroom, the fabric showroom, the furniture showroom, they send really good leads, the lighting showroom, they send really good leads my way too, because they also know They know what you're looking for, which I think is a missing piece a lot of times. Like, you know, because I did kitchen, only kitchen modeling, right? Kitchen and bath, but mostly kitchen. Um, And so I had obviously one or two women at the, you know, at the slab yard, right? Where where we'd buy our granite for the countertops. And I was very vocal or, or clear about like the kinds of women I liked working with. So not in a pushy way, but just like, you know, Sarah, they're new the style of design I did like you, she knew I only wanted nice people, not super high maintenance people, um, people that could make a decision that were very respectful, you know, appreciated quality. Um, And so she would only send me referrals of women like that, right? Because she knew what I was looking for. I wasn't just like, send me everybody you have. (laughs) Right. Right. So I think that's also people forget that you can kind of do that by, you know, sharing in some small ways, like what you're kind of looking for, right? Yeah. And you bring up another point that I made as a decision for my own business several years ago is I only work in um, a modern style. Um, Because for me, I know that that's, that's where my head is at. That's where my natural ability is at. And so you need to think about if you're going to take on multiple styles there is mm-hmm. a learning curve every time you take on something that's outside of a style that you've done previously. And okay. so that is a cost of doing business. So when you get really efficient at a certain type of work, you actually make more money because you're, um, you're really focused. comfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And people start to know you for that one type of thing. Right. And, right. and I think it probably also attracts a certain kind of person, right? Like you're, yes. it's, it's much more likely that those executives are going to like that style and have the budget for that style than a single mom with three children, you know, who lives in a two in one. Right. I mean, she's not going to hire it as a desire anyways, but I mean, there's sort of people in between that that might, but then they're not going to necessarily do modern, right? Because it doesn't fit the style of house. So I think, um, I think that's a really good point of like knowing, just knowing what you like working in, but also this is a big part, which you already knew was you have to have a market for that. There has to be enough people that want that style to build a business on, right? It's not, it's not just that you like doing modern. It's that you knew you could, you, there's enough people that like modern, right? There is, but here's the other side to that, um, to that point is how many, as a small business, I think you need to think about how many projects you need to be where you want to be. And for me, that's somewhere between four, four and six. A year? So how, Yeah. Okay, but you're making a good amount of money off of each one, though. I am. But see, this is what I'm telling. I'm trying to tell your audience is that think about how many projects you need. So if you need 100 projects, yeah, mm-hmm. you probably need to talk to maybe, you know, a couple hundred, depending on what your close rate is, you may need to talk to, say, 300 people or 200 people. Most people don't need 100 projects. Yeah. So you don't need, I mean, I think we try to, we, we tend to run our businesses like we're Coca-Cola or bigger business, but I think it's good to know how many projects do we actually need and then kind of back into that because I think it's a lot less than everyone markets as, you know, everybody markets to, I need a thousand projects or people or followers to get, you know, you only need 10, 20 projects. You don't need thousands of projects. Yeah, well, I think most people don't even think about how many projects they need, right? Think about they how many projects even, you need. And yeah, they don't even projects. do a, like a sales forecast, right? Yeah. Of like, if you want to make $200,000 a year, okay, roughly, if you're making 10 grand off of each project, 20 grand off of each project, right? You divide the 200,000 by the 20,000. Right. That's how many things you need to be going in an ongoing basis because you're not getting paid from all of them all simultaneously either, right? There's there's Correct. ebb and flow of the money. And then think about, okay, what kind of a person can afford that type of project where I'm going to get $20,000, which is only a small percentage of the whole project. That's that's my ideal target customer. Okay, where are those customers? Right. How can I be around those customers? Like most people aren't even doing that. They're just I agree. opening their doors and taking referrals from friends and letting the phone ring or the neighbor down the street or whatever. And none of those people are close to the number they need, right? right? If they wanted to make the 20,000 or, or 200,000 a year, or they're going to have to do 400 projects to equal that. So I think that's part of what I'm kind of ta- trying to get uh, women to do is really spend 10 minutes on a, on a napkin, right? On a cocktail napkin, working through you know, if you want to make $10,000 a month, how many customers is that? And what is, what are you actually doing that right. can be systematized on some, in some level, right? Um, yeah. And what's your close rate? Meaning how many people do you generally talk to? And then how many jobs do you actually get out of that? Yeah. I don't think they're, 
even thinking about that, right? They're pretty, they're probably pretty much doing every job that comes in the door, which is part of the, the, the growing pains. When you start a business, you do have to do that. You have to do that just to keep the bills paid and your shop rent paid. And, but eventually there needs to be a transition from say year one to year three, I think, where you're starting to really switch to more marketing and figuring, figuring out how to get the kind of customers you want that can pay the, the level that you need and that you can do in a sort of efficient way. And that, that switch is sometimes hard to do. Right. Um, but without that calculation, you don't even know what you're targeting, right? Like who you're really going after. Right. Um, so let's, so let's talk a little bit about the, the kind of these ways now that we've sort of talked about what we think a good and bad customer is, um, what are the ways that you can be magnetic and attract um, you know, three to five ways that you feel you can you can really attract your ideal customer once you know who that is. Well, so knowing who the customer is is the first part of the puzzle, but then the second part of the puzzle is what is keeping them up at night as it relates to what you do. Mm. So that's the thing that no one ever thinks about. They're always thinking about um, maybe aesthetics or things that aren't necessarily important to their clients, but more important to them. Like to your point earlier, I'm certified in XYZ. And that I think people need to realize that those certifications, like you need to realize, is that a marketing? Is that something that's important to your customer? Or is that just something that's important to you? And it's okay if it's important to you, but don't kid yourself if it's really not important to your customer and then use it as a selling tool because it doesn't work. So... I think you need to think about like, what are some of the things that customers have come to you um, and said, I'm so glad you helped me with X, Y, Z, or I was so worried about this. Um, Thank goodness you were here to alleviate my stress in this area. Those things you should be writing down because those are the pain points of your customers. And those are the things you want to be talking about is how you're alleviating either the anxiety of too many details and not knowing what to do when, or something about, you know, maybe there's some stress about getting ripped off. Maybe there's some stress about not understanding the process. Maybe there's stress about, maybe there is stress about some of the aesthetics or the timing or, um, you know, what things cost. But I think that you need to dive into and listen to what people are saying to you, your customers, and or if you don't have a big customer base, your vendors. So things that are coming up that are really concerns, and then you start addressing those. And so can you give us an example, like specifically, how when you say addressing those and um, speaking to that, what exactly are you talking about? Like what techniques are you actually talking about? Like what would you do throughout you took one of those, like what's keeping my customer up at night and I have five days in front of me, how do you break that down, that question down? And how are you disseminating the information? So I use a technique in my own business called the shock and awe box. And so what I do is when I get an initial inquiry from somebody, we have a quick phone call and I, you know, go through kind of the broad brush of what Basically what I'm looking for, and I do tell people on the phone, I, was, I always say, this is an interview for both of us. 
because this relationship is for, for me, my projects tend to be 12 months. So it is a long-term relationship. And I think that people should have good rapport and really like each other. So we kind of get through that first initial conversation. And then we do an in-person meeting would be the next part of the process. Before we have that in-person meeting, I will go ahead and send something called a shock and awe box. And in that shock and awe box, so this is prior to being hired. So a lot of people don't do this. And this is why it's unusual. How do you show someone how your relationship is going to go, how you're different if they've never worked with you? Like they're not going to know that until they've actually hired you. But how do you give someone the idea of what that's going to be like? How are you going to treat them? How that project's going to go? How you're different? And so in the shock and awe box, I will include several things. I will include, I do a monthly newsletter. So I will include several newsletters because I want people to get to know me a little bit more. I want them to hear my voice. They'll get obviously start to hear what's important to me as a designer. And I'm sure that everyone has these sort of hot buttons that are super important to them. So that's a really good way for them to get to know me. And then I, I you know, I do send a couple little gifts. I'll send a, a little note ahead of time. Um, <clears throat> I'll also put in there, like per, my professional profile will just outline some important projects that I've done and and what clients have said. So testimonials all in their own words. And then I will also send like my project process, how things would work, um, general timing of items. I will do an FAQ sheet, which is really very powerful. So if you get the same questions over and over again from clients, or if you want to make sure that there's something you want them to know, but you don't want to kind of look like you're preaching to them, just do an FAQ sheet. And so I put all this information in a box. I FedEx it to them ahead of our meeting. And I just tell them, hey, go ahead and look at this. Look at this information. It's a lot to digest. I'll give them a snack, give them a couple of drinks um, that they can just sit down and just settle in, sit down, look over the information. And the reason I do that is because A, it builds trust. B, it moves the sales process along much faster. And C, when we have an in-person meeting, we are literally only talking about the things that they, you know, the questions or concerns that they have. We are not trying to get them to digest all that information. And that's just been a really amazing tool for me to use in my own business. And it's closed some really big jobs. So you're basically doing the selling before you're even doing the selling, right? You're basically that, that those things are basically doing the work for you before you even get there without you preaching and talking yeah, and you can just be really natural and easygoing and you don't have, it's, you're, it's basically doing it. It's either doing its job or it's not basically. Right. Yeah. Cause if they don't like what they see for some particular reason, they'll cancel. Yeah, the yeah exactly. Uh, that's really, I love this. Uh, you're probably the only person I know that does something similar to what I did. I didn't think to do this stuff beforehand, but I always did the, the, the pre-call always. I never did a cold meeting just like you. And typically because the voice is so intimate, right? Like us just talking and hearing each other. Um, I find that just a a quick 15 minute phone call. um, I can tell so much about her just by the way she handles herself on the phone, you know, kids screaming in the background, like how she talks to me. Um, 
if she cancels, if she's like, I can tell so much just on that phone call that I know pretty much on that 15 minute phone call, whether I want to work with her, right. Without saying anything. And, and she can sense a lot about me, my compassion, how I work. Right. So I really, that it's not just a phone call, right. You and I are not using it as a phone call. We're using it as literally selling without it being obvious that that's what's happening. Yeah. You're qualifying. It's qualifying them. And then I know pretty much if I want to work with her or not, and how hard I'm going to work to get the job, basically. So if I can tell that she's going to really put me through my paces, I'm way less likely. I mean, I'm, st- I'm, going, to, I'm going to still do the appointment, but I'm already really skeptical, right? Like I can already kind of tell this person's going to be high maintenance. Um, now, it could be that she was just stressed that day or something happened and she may be different when I'm in her house, but pretty close. Like if you just pay attention to that, you can really hear how somebody is in their voice and how they treat you. Um, and, but so what I did was, um, you know, I had probably a 90% closing rate. If I was in their house, I pretty much got the job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did a kind of a quick sketch there and I did a lot of the same things you're doing, but I did it in the house with them. But then after I got the job, I would send them a bouquet of, of flowers and uh, like to the client, <laughs> like I, every time I did that, I would get three more jobs. So after I signed the contract, right, they, they'd sign the contract and I got the check, right? The deposit. The very next day, I had a florist in town who would immediately ship them a um, welcome bouquet of flowers on their doorstep. And just that alone was like the shock and awe, kind of like what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so you can add that. <laughs> Maybe you already do that too. But it really, like women love flowers, right? And so they would tell all their girlfriends, like, oh my God, I can't believe my cabinet maker just sent me flowers. Right. And they're like, what? Like, so, um, you know, those are, that's like a $60 bouquet, $70 bouquet, but I got three more jobs that I made $30,000 on. Right. So those are really small things that somebody could do to really stand out because I guarantee you no men are sending flowers. <laughs> this is true. Yes. <laughs> no male contractors are sending flowers. Well, and it um, may be construed as weird too. So yeah, you kind well, of, it's from the pass as being a woman. I think you get a pass there. So yeah, but it's from the company. I mean, it's, right. it's from the company. It's not from me personally. Right. Um, okay. So, so what would be, so then, so that helps me kind of understand what you do to stand out, but what are some of the techniques that you do? Um, I think you do a lot of stuff with social media, right? Where you do this sort of storytelling technique, where you're really speaking to some of their fears and their objections. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So in, in the industry, it kind of drives me crazy, but there's a lot of reporting going on, um, which is look at this tile, look at this picture, look at this, you know, insert item here. And then it just says, you know, it's amazing or whatever. And you're, you're looking at that post or you're writing that post from your perspective as opposed to from the client's perspective. So I want everyone to think about when they put a social media post out there, you know, you can write your normal text like you would because that just gets the information there. But then say to yourself, why is this important? Why does somebody need to know this? Um, What could I talk about that would be interesting? So I like when people tell stories. And I think when you tell stories, you have like 20, 20 times more engagement because people are not used to that. Um, and so it's a much easier way to disseminate information. Um, it's more interesting to the person reading it. So 
I always tell my coaching clients to carry a notebook around with you. And when something happens during the day, uh, when you're on a job site, when you're talking to a vendor, when you're talking to a client on the phone, write down those interactions and then talk about them the next time you post a picture from that project. Oh, we talked about whether or not in this kitchen we should do a high counter or a low counter. And we discussed the pros and cons of that because, as you know, you being in the kitchen industry, when you have a bar counter, you know, obviously a lot of people want to put stools there. When you have a low counter, you can generally see into the kitchen. And if they're messy or they entertain a lot, like they don't want their guests to see. Except I hate a high counter. But yes. Well, and there's reasons for all of that. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you can talk about that could be a visual barrier. And you talked about, is it worth having the visual barrier versus hiding the dishes or whatever? But those conversations is are the stories that I think people should be telling. Right. Because are those are tools, giving you, yeah. They're giving are the them stools going to come back out into the walkway, right? Like how big are the stools and are you going to see the backs of the stools? And like, how do you select? So there's still a good walkway. Like, yeah, all those would be really good captions on an Instagram post, right? Or a story they could go on as an Instagram story and just talk through those to that little decision-making moment, basically. Yes. Which and it's educating without being preachy. Right. With Which educate, which highlights that, you know, what you're doing as the vendor, right? right. Um, without saying I'm really good at my job, <laughs> right? Exactly. But it's basically showing that you're really good at your job. Um, what about like more of the struggling things? Like you mentioned, you know, um, you know, like, uh, like, thank goodness I found you, or I'm so glad you're here to help with this, or like, how would you incorporate some of the actual, maybe pain points that the, the actual anxiety that the customer might be feeling? How would you incorporate that in some sort of storytelling or Instagram post? Yeah. So last week I had a client who we ended up going to a large furniture store because of all the issues with just getting, um, getting furniture right now. And so we went to this huge furniture store and we were walking around the store and she was just completely overwhelmed. She was just like, Oh my God. And I, and she said, thank God you're here. Because in two hours, we had like four rooms figured out. And she's like, I don't know how you see these things. And I don't know how you, you know, you can kind of distill all this visual noise that's going on. And, and, and I just basically said to her, I know what I'm looking for. And so I can tune out all that other stuff and kind of hone in on what specifically I'm looking for. And so to me, that's a great story to tell because there's still a million choices. Even if your customer has a million choices, they can go online at night and start getting into the rabbit hole of looking at, you know, anything. They can look at, you know, they could be on Pinterest for days. Forever. (laughs) Right. Forever and and a day. And so I think what we give them is we give, we take the stress away, making the process much more enjoyable, meaning exciting, and they can really um, have fun with it. And we're distilling the choices to things that we know are appropriate. Right. That'll work with their budget and the tone and the metal and all that. So, so right. basically you would just write a caption, maybe a, sto- a picture of the lights and then write a caption of like a conversation of maybe you and her right. or 
the story of this happened last Tuesday when I was with a client, right? Which again, highlights that you have clients, right? To new clients. And it also highlights that you know how to solve an anxiety or a worry that they have without just saying, I'm really good at helping you pick stuff. Like right. it's, so it's, the biggest, the biggest thing that almost every client is worried about is time and money. Yep. Yeah. So if you want to stick to something that's safe, you're saving them time and you're saving them money. And what I mean by you're saving them money is that a, they're not going to make a mistake and then have to return that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not that you're, you're the cheapest or that you're getting them the cheapest, but you're getting it right the first time. Mm. See, that could be a post right there, right? I help you get it right the first time. And that could be- how many times have you ordered something and then sent, or, you know, like the, the yeah. new thing now is to order like six pairs of shoes and send, yeah, and them, then send them back. Oh, I hate that. Why do you do, like, we don't do that. Like that, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, you could that use the word curated. Yeah. So <laughs> like, I always like to bring stuff to my clients' homes for several reasons. One, of course- Everything looks different in whatever light. Yeah. In, in their, their space. Home, mm-hmm. Right. But two, it's also like the work we're, we're distilling down. There's no visual noise. There isn't a lot of activity. Like we're just focusing on the things that we're, that we're Actually, talking about. Yeah. 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 Not more and more choices. Um, because more and more choices actually, people think that makes you make a decision better, but actually constraints. Yeah help you make the decision better and feel FOMO more is a bad thing when it comes to making choices. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, so this is, I think this has been really helpful for them to, you know, so ladies write this question down, right? What keeps your customers up at night? What worries or struggles do they have? What pain points do they have or objections do they have to buy your thing, your service, and then your, your storytelling and your captions and all the things that you talk about on your social media need to speak to answering those questions in a kind of a fun, interesting, maybe entertaining way. And that will be more magnetic than just, hey, you know, I do title installation, (laughs) right? Um, Or whatever the thing is. Uh, I think that was really, really helpful. So you mentioned a little bit about coaching. Um, And so tell us a little bit about like who your ideal person is. Um, in the, you know, that maybe is in construction or design and how you might help her improve her business through your coaching services, which is separate than your, separate than your interior design services. Yes, it is. And so I have several layers of my coaching, but I generally work with creatives who are looking to elevate the type of customers and the type of projects that they're getting. And I'm teaching them how to do that through these magnetic marketing techniques. So we're diving into really who's their ideal client. And then also, you know, when you've been in business a little while, you start to realize that you can craft your business to to really either highlight your strengths or do more of the work that you want to do, as opposed to what everyone else in your industry is doing. So I think that you can customize your business to not only work with certain people, but to also you can shed some stuff off your business that um, you don't really want to do either by getting help or by not offering that service. So for instance, I know a lot of designers right now are shedding the, you know, procurement portion of their business just because it, it offers, it's so labor intensive and um, 
there's really less and less profit in it. And, and you explain, can't do that. explain what procurement means. Most people aren't going to know what that what that Okay, means. so that would be like purchasing products for on the client's behalf, marking it up and reselling. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot of designers are getting out of that because it's just become so labor intensive in terms of time that they're really not able to make enough money on that for the amount of time that's taking. So for instance, if you were to buy a sofa and resell it for a client, if it takes, if it used to take two months to get, okay, but now it's taking 12 months and you're still yeah. calling and following up and all this, and then it comes right. in damage and then you got to deal with that. So, yeah. So I think that, um, so what I'm teaching people is to learn how to craft your business to support your lifestyle and to have um, more profitable business and better clients. Nice. Okay. And so you, and what's the container that you do that in? Is it, is it like a, like you can work for a month? Is it 30 days? Is it like sort of what's the timing of the different levels you do? So, yeah. So I have a couple different things. I have a one hour PDQ session, which is where you really talk about like a singular problem that you're having. And um, we figure out what the next several uh, steps in the process are going to be to, to solve that particular problem. So that's called a PDQ service. I have a few master classes, one on the shock and awe box, one on time management, and also one on hiring VAs to help you in your business, virtual assistants, so that you can get some of these things off your plate. Um, I also offer a six module course called In Demand Designer, which talks about creating magnetic marketing techniques in your business and how to attract that very best customer. And then I'm doing one-on-one coaching for special clients who want that, you know, very personalized touch, which is done monthly. Got it. Okay. So lots of ways, lots of ways that that somebody could get some help. Um, Okay. So let's switch gears a tiny bit and talk about your book, right? That's the, another way that somebody could get help from you is your book Elevate. Can you kind of talk about who that book is for and a little bit how that book might be able to help somebody? Yeah, so that book is for creatives. Um, it also talks about a lot of the, the basic techniques where that I think are super important in your business, which is identifying um, who your you know perfect customer is, how to be a great marketer and why you need to be doing that. Also managing your time and seeing how time and profit are interrelated. And so that book goes through those techniques, but then also a lot of storytelling in there about some of the old, my own shiny object syndrome that kind of derailed me in my own business, why I started my business and how, you know, I call it leapfrogging. Like if you can, if you can hang out with someone who's been in the business 30 years and learn what they've learned over 30 years, then you don't have to do what I did. <laughs> Right, make all the mistakes. And wait 30 years to do to be where I'm at. So um, yeah. you know, definitely surround yourself with people who've been doing this a long time and are willing to share with you because then you can leapfrog your education and, and move forward. So the book is talking about all the things that I think are really important in running a business and then some of the, you know, some of the missteps that I made so that you know, you know that it's 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 always a windy process. Awesome. I love it. Well, it sounds like at the very least some of the ladies could just get the book and that sounds like that might be super helpful for them. Um, I know you're going to come back when we're doing our virtual summit um, this summer. So we'll be excited to learn some more things from you. Um, So before we wrap this up though, I, I really like highlighting for women 
just being proud of themselves, right? Like just being okay to be proud of themselves. So what is one of your proudest moments? Obviously you have children, so so not the personal stuff, but just as a business owner, what before we we end, what is one of your proudest things that you're that you're happy about as a woman uh, business owner in this industry? Yeah, we are our own worst enemies, I think sometimes. Yeah. But I would say, to be honest, um, looking back, I think my proudest moment is just my fortitude. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the mental stamina that I've been able to continue to go on. And to move forward and to always be thinking about how can I make this better? I think that that takes, um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And I don't think we talk about how hard it is mentally to run a business and kind of keep it all together or look like we're keeping it all together. And so that's something that I'm really proud of. And I think that your listeners should also recognize in themselves that it's not easy it is not it is not easy owning a business it takes a toll on you physically and it takes a toll on you mentally and i think that we should be patting ourselves on the back a little bit more on all the things that we handle with grace mm-hmm. um and trying to prove to the world that we've got all of this and being strong and knowing that it's it's not always perfect but i think that for me just um just keep moving forward that's that's the thing that i'm most proud of myself um even last week i had a i had a, a little bump in the road and mm. i had to take a break because i could tell that it was really starting to get yeah. to me and weigh on me and you know this is somebody who's been in the business 30 years and yeah. it does not that does not necessarily change but i think it's how we handle it will change i knew that it was something that i was going through and i knew that it was something i needed to address and then i needed to just yeah take the break and then regroup and that's what i did and so that's something to just keep in mind is that it's not always going to be perfect but just just listen to your body and know that this too shall pass and you will continue to move forward yeah yeah it's like it's like steel right I th- I think of it like that. It's like that how steel how a sword gets made, right? That steel is is you know wrap is you know wrapped over and over and over again, right? And and the, that that wrapping of the fight of whatever's in the molecularly inside the the steel is what makes that sword so strong, right? And it's kind of like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so our our mental our brains get that strength that grit of dealing with issues and then getting through them and dealing with issues and getting through them. And it is definitely something to be really proud of. Um, it does not get recognized. I don't think in our society very much, but you know, if you're an entrepreneur, like you, your brain is like a sword, <laughs> like yeah. has the strength of a sword. So, um, so it never turns to- off either. Yeah, exactly. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. I know this is going to be super helpful to so many of the ladies listening uh, and men. We have a lot of guys that listen to. We love you guys, too. And, um, you know, thanks so much. And I'm looking forward to the next um, time we talk and and having you in the summit as well. So thanks for being here. Thanks so much for letting me, you know, prattle on about the work that I'm doing. And I hopefully your, your listeners have gotten some really good tools that they can take into their own business and start implementing right away.
Thanks so much for listening to Remodel Your Life. I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe through iTunes. You can always send us feedback through email at Camille at RemodelYourLifePodcast.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life Podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. Hey.